Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. In Politics Book One, Aristotle provides a now infamous but rather limited defense of what he calls natural slavery, in which some people would be slaves by nature, meaning that they ought to be slaves or that it makes sense for them to be slaves, to be in relations where power is exercised upon them arbitrarily and they don't have any autonomy or decision-making capacity in how they're going to live their lives. Now, in point of fact, this part of Aristotle's politics was indeed used or rather abused by people who wanted to justify slavery in a much broader sense than Aristotle himself would have countenanced, as we shall see when we look at the passages. What I have in mind here would be the justification in the Confederate States of America, and and prior to that within the United States, of antebellum chattel slavery, enslaving people from Africa. Then it was also used as a justification in South America to justify enslaving indigenous inhabitants. But as we'll see, much of that would have been considered illegitimate from Aristotle's point of view. Let's talk about what a slave is from Aristotle's perspective first before looking at the question of whether slavery could be justified. So the slave is in Greek doulos, and you can translate that in a variety of ways. Sometimes people want to soften it by saying servant or that there's other sorts of things, a member of the household, client. But one of the things that is missing there is the lack of inability to to exit that relationship. If somebody is merely a servant, then they could leave. Of course, if they're an indentured servant, then they can't. But a regular servant could leave and go somewhere else. The slave is indeed, in Aristotle's point of view, a piece of property, a katema. Property like books or oxen or doors or pick whatever else you like. And as a piece of property, the slave can be bought and sold. They have a monetary value, probably a rather subjectively determined one. But as a piece of property, they are being treated not as a person, but as a thing. And we might think of different types of property. For example, bits of technology, other tools, animals, and then we have living human property, slaves. The other thing that's even more important is that the slave, Aristotle stresses, is a tool, an organon. And tool is a very broad word in Aristotle's work. As a matter of fact, some of his books are actually called the Organon, the great tool for logic, right? Here's another tool. This is the tool of tools, the hand, which operates other tools. And the slave is a special kind of tool. How are they different than other things? They're not merely a living tool. They are a tool with a soul. And and this implies not just that they have life or awareness, but that they have a certain capacity for thinking things through that have to be done in their tasks, sometimes at a much higher level, sometimes at a much lower level, depending on what their tasks are. 
And Aristotle actually suggests that if we had tools that could run themselves, for example, a loom in which the shuttle would weave back and forth by itself. Looms and shuttles are very important in ancient times because they were the way in which you manufactured cloth, which you need for all of your clothing. You either had to get cloth from somebody else or you had to manufacture it at home. And it was a time-consuming task and it required certain tools to be in place in order to process the raw materials. You might delegate a slave to be carrying that task out. And if you could in fact have a piece of technology that operated itself, there would in fact be no reason to have a slave doing that, to devote that person and their intelligence and their hours to that task. So a slave is a tool that functions within the household to make certain things possible. A slave is a tool that conduces to not just living, but living well. One of the key questions is how much they enjoy of that in the household. And the answer, of course, varies considerably, but it's never going to be as much as the free members of the household. So one of the key questions then that Aristotle is going to ask is, is anyone a slave by nature? And why is this important, this by nature? It implies that... If a person is a slave by nature, it is good for them to be a slave, or it makes sense for them to be a slave. They may in fact have no capacity to be anything other than that. So freeing them could be a major problem because they would inevitably either fall into something worse than slavery or go back to slavery, if that's the case. And that's one of the key questions being asked. The other question he asks, that's related to this, that helps out in illuminating this for Aristotle, is, is it ever useful or profitable, or however you want to put it, sumferon in Greek, is it ever useful, or is it just, is it right, dikaion, for any person to be a slave? Now, why is he asking these questions? Here is where we should think about ancient culture. It was not the case that everybody in ancient times thought that slavery was a-okay. As a matter of fact, Aristotle doesn't name them by name, but he brings up a number of people who say that slavery is against nature, that it's never good, that it's never useful or just for people to be slaves. So he's considering what in his time is really a live question. There were, of course, many other people who said it is, you know, good for people to be slaves. And as we're going to see, as we look at it, there's people who kind of hedge back and forth. And there were probably some people who said, I don't really care. Just go do your work. But these are important questions. So I think it's best to begin by looking at the arguments put forward by the people who say that slavery is unjust or against nature in every case, or at least in some cases. So he, he goes on, this is in book one, he says, it's not difficult to see that those who assert that slavery is not by nature are right in a certain fashion. They're right to a certain degree. He says, the fact is the terms slavery and slave are ambiguous. We think of them as one thing, but they actually name different relations, different things. And some of them may be quite unnatural. So he says, there is such a thing as a slave or a man that is in slavery by law. Law is a sort of agreement under which things conquered in war are said to belong to their conquerors. 
And he says, this conventional, this legal, the word for law here, by the way, is nomos, which can mean law or custom. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a law on the books. It could be something that is a custom of a particular people, part of their culture. He says, this conventional right is actually denied or attacked by many legal ideas, just as a statesperson is impeached for proposing an unconstitutional measure. They say that just because somebody is strong enough to use force against another person, that doesn't mean that they should thereby, you know, by being an object of aggression or a prisoner, be turned into a slave. That seems quite irrational, quite arbitrary. And as in point of fact, Aristotle will point out that there's many people who appear to not be natural slaves that got swept up in some dragnet and turned into slaves in the process. And that was illegitimate in his view. So he says that one reason why this might be attacked is that in a certain manner, virtue, when it obtains resources, has in fact great power to use force and the stronger power always possesses superiority in something that it's good. So it's thought by many that force cannot be devoid of goodness. But that doesn't really get to the heart of the issue then, does it? The fact that the person who engages in aggression and captures people and turns them into slaves may be good in some sense doesn't mean that that act of turning them into slaves or selling them or keeping them as slaves is indeed good, justified, or even useful. We can think of many other examples that Aristotle doesn't go into, but of which he was quite aware, namely debt slavery. In ancient times, not only in ancient Greece, but in many other places, you could be become a slave because your parents had to sell you because they were settling debts that they had. Sometimes people would even themselves sell themselves into slavery so as to pay back all or part of their debts. This is something that goes on today, by the way, in the illegitimate instances of slavery that we still see here in the modern era. So debt slavery would also be by nomos, by law or by custom, but there's nothing to say that that would be legitimate. Aristotle goes on and he says, somebody might say that enslavement of prisoners is just, but they might also deny the assertion. They could say that wars could be unjust in their origin. Nobody who doesn't deserve slavery can really be a slave. And they might also go on and make a distinction, an ethnocentric distinction that Aristotle has no problem with between Greeks and barbarians, which means everybody else and say that, well, you know, enslaving Greeks, not a good thing, but enslaving barbarians, that could be all right. And we could think of many other instances where people have, have said these sorts of things. So he talks about them saying that Greeks themselves, if taken prisoners, shouldn't be slaves, but barbarians are. And he says, what this leads us to, why is this important? What this leads us to is some sort of principle. If they're going to say something like that, they need a criterion by which to say some people do in fact deserve to be slaves if they're captured, but other people don't. What could such a criterion be? What would justify enslaving some people, but not enslaving others? So one possibility, he says, is the difference between virtue and vice. The virtuous person shouldn't be a slave. The vicious person should. And, you know, if you have households and people bringing their children up, presumably the virtuous are going to generate virtuous children and the vicious are going to generate vicious children. Now, Aristotle, of course, says 
It doesn't really turn out like that. We have many instances where a virtuous person will have children and those children turn out completely vicious and vice versa. So that's not it. So what could be a justification? And he's discussed this a little bit earlier. He says that what could justify slavery as natural, as something that is in accordance with nature, is several things. You would need to have somebody who is a natural slave. Now, what would make a person naturally be in such a state where it's better for them to be a slave than to be free? For Aristotle, it has to do with this rational part of the human soul or mind being either undeveloped or being underdeveloped. It's developed to the degree that it can at least listen to reason on the part of somebody else who actually does understand things, but it's not developed to the point where the person can conduct their own affairs in a way that is not going to get them into some sort of trouble. That's not going to lead to problems. Children are like this when they are young, but they develop out of that, unless they become the kind of people who Aristotle would say would be natural slaves. So for the natural slave who has not developed those rational capacities, it is in fact advantageous to them to be under somebody else's guidance, somebody else's rule, to not get to decide for themselves what to do with their earnings or their time or whether they go from place to place or perhaps even over their own sexuality. There's another key component that is absolutely necessary here that often gets left out in the abuses of this. It, let's assume that there are natural slaves. You do not have a slave by nature unless that person is also under a natural master. They are a slave by nature in a way, but it's not really advantageous to them to be under anybody whatsoever. I mean, it could be that the person who owns them is actually a natural slave and they just happen to be in the right position in some elite and they can't manage their own affairs well. And then they screw up the slave's affairs as well. A natural master would have to be somebody who is fully rational, who has self-control, who either has or is on the way to developing the moral virtues especially prudence, which is required to make sense out of decisions that we need to make regarding ourselves and regarding others and our households. Without a natural master, you don't really have slavery by nature or in accordance with nature. Now, the question is open. How many of these natural masters are there out there? Aristotle doesn't discuss that, but that's well worth considering. So if it's going to be natural slavery, Aristotle says the rule needs to be the best option for both of them. Obviously for the master, it's nice to have a slave, but it has to be advantageous for the slave or else it's not really, you could say good or just or natural slavery. It becomes slavery against nature. So Aristotle's defense of slavery here is quite a bit more limited than many people assume. Honestly, many instances of slavery, not only in later history, but in his own time, would be viewed by him as illegitimate, as unjust, as disadvantageous for the people involved, as unnatural. So we now see what the conditions are for natural slavery, and we can think about whether they're ever in fact met. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. 
You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.